0: All right, well, let's uh, jump in here. Let's start with a quick reminder of where we left off in this letter last September. Do you believe it's been that long? We were at the end of chapter 8, and Paul had been writing to the Corinthians about their practice of eating meals in pagan temples. Do you remember this? And he was telling them not to do that, not to participate in those meals. And the biggest reason was that. It's having a damaging effect on their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it appears that this teaching um, had, had, been, had been given to them before. And they have challenged this teaching and some of the responses back that he's hearing. And arguing with the, with the apostle in at least two ways. And Paul addresses these areas um, right away in verse one, if you look at uh, chapter nine and verse one, the first two questions he asks kind of sum up the chapter ahead. The first question he says is, "Am I not free?" And we're going to deal with that whole subject starting in verse nineteen next Sunday, Lord willing. But then the second question in verse one, and this week's subject, this what he opens up in this text, is the question, "Am I not an apostle?" Am I not an apostle? He's defending himself. I'm sure you noticed as we read the chapter together just a moment ago that there were tons of questions in these verses. There are, in fact, 16 questions in the first 18 verses of this chapter. And most of them are what we would call rhetorical questions that don't need to be answered because the answer is obvious. As Paul defends his apostleship, In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, he gives two arguments, again in question form. He says, Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That was the mark of an apostle, by the way. An apostle was someone who had to have seen with his own eyes the risen Lord Jesus. That is why, brothers and sisters, there are no apostles today. And anyone who calls themselves an apostle today is a false apostle. Because the only apostles that were true apostles in the New Testament were those who saw Jesus with their own eyes, the risen Jesus. And that's why there are no apostles left today. Then he says, uh, the next question, he says, Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul is basically saying here in these opening verses, of course I am an apostle. I've seen Jesus. Check. Right? And I've been used by Jesus to to build your church, to become your spiritual church. Father, you are the seal of my apostleship. How can you possibly think I'm not an apostle? And why did these people at Corinth attack Paul's apostleship? Why is he needing to defend himself? There are several reasons, but the one we're looking at here in this text this morning is a rather strange one. They didn't think Paul was an apostle because he worked for his living you know, you know paul uh, worked with leather i think most of you probably know that he he made military equipment he made tents he uh, made uh, things for horses materials for horses he made a whole range of things he worked with aquila and priscilla you'll remember as a tent maker in corinth when he started that church as recorded back in acts 18 in fact he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12, we labor, speaking of himself, Aquila and Priscilla, working with our own hands. But the problem is the Greeks despised people who did manual labor. They looked down on Paul because of the fact he earned his own living. Thought he was not qualified to listen to, not worth Listening to. They're a little embarrassed by him. All their pagan friends had full time philosopher teachers. They got paid just to be a teacher, just to be a public speaker. But their teacher, this Paul, was a little man who got his hands dirty all week in a workshop. We see this coming out, especially in the second letter that Paul wrote to the same church. For example, over in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, Paul says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Again, in the same book, uh, chapter 12 and verse 13, he says, Were you less favored than the rest of the churches? except that I myself did not burden you. In other words, you didn't have to pay me for my services. He says, forgive me this wrong. And he's being sarcastic in that whole section in chapter 12. So Paul is facing this issue head on in this first letter we have to the Corinthians. And I want, if you want to break this down for outline's sake this morning, i give you three points. The first is this, apostolic rites. Apostolic rights. The second point will be apostolic restraints. And then, finally, we'll talk about some uh, present-day application. Uh, so let's look, take a look at verses 3 through 14 and apostolic rights. What is Paul asserting here? What is he defending? Well, in these verses, Paul is arguing he has as much right to a salary as any of the other apostles. Look at the questions he asks in verses three. And following, down to to verse 6. This is my defense, Paul says, to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? In other words, he's saying, basically, don't I have a right for a salary, for pay, for livelihood from the church? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, of course, he does. He goes on to say, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles, and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, when he says the right to take along a believing wife, it doesn't just mean to be married there, to take on a believing wife. But it it has the idea of having his wife's expenses met. Apparently, what was happening is Peter, the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, uh, traveled with their wives, and the churches met the expenses of the wives as well as the preachers. And Paul says, don't we have that right? Of course we have. Paul's saying, is it only Barnabas and me who have to work for a living? Is that fair? So he's arguing very forcefully. It almost seems like Paul's agitated in this section. He's he's worked up. He's saying, I have a right to be supported. And and then he goes on to support this right with five very strong reasons. Let me give you these five reasons. The first reason comes from everyday life. Everyday life. Look at verse seven. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? In other words, is a soldier expected to buy his own helmet or his own sword? or his own shield, or his own food? Certainly not. Rhetorical questions. He's supported by the people he works for. Who plants a vineyard without eating eating any of its fruit? Is the farmer not allowed to receive some award from his work? Of course he is. Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do you expect a shepherd to work for nothing? Of course you don't. The man works, he's entitled to a fair return for his work. So there's three very down-to-earth examples. Everyday life. Very appropriate for a preacher or a minister. The example of a soldier, the example of a planter, the example of a shepherd. He says they all live by their work. The question rhetorically is, shouldn't I be able to as well? Then the second argument he gives or the second strong reason, is from the Old Testament law. Look at verses 8 through 10. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then uh, he goes on. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. What would happen is the animal would drag this this, uh, piece of heavy wood behind it, with some very sharp edges in it over top of the grain. And as he did that, the grain was threshed. And and God said that that animal who's doing the threshing, who's dragging this blade through the grain, is allowed to eat the grain. You don't put a muzzle on the animal so he can't eat anything that he's threshing. The animal can stop and take a mouthful of the grain that it is threshing. It's doing the work. It's entitled to some reward. And Paul goes on to say in uh, verse 9, the latter part of verse 9, is it for oxen that God is concerned? In other words, is God just talking about animals here? And again, it's a rhetorical question, but he answers it. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? And then he goes on and affirms it. It was written for our sake. Paul saying anyone who works has a right to be supported as a result of their work. He gives a third argument in verses 11 and 12. A third strong reason. And that is from common justice. Look at verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even Do not we even more. He's saying, think of all the stuff I've done for this church. I planted this church, right? The church at Corinth. I started this church. The months, think about the months. He spent 18 months, didn't he, in Corinth? Think of all the months that I've spent preaching and teaching. The effort that I've put in. The sowing that I've done. Do I not have a right to support? If I've sown the spiritual seed, should I not get a material reward. He he tells the Corinthians, you're giving support to other people who have done so much less for you than I have. Don't I have rights in this matter? And of course, common justice would answer and say, yes, you do. The man has worked so hard, he deserves support. There's a fourth argument in verse 13, and that's the provision for the priesthood. Do you not know, he says, that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Think about this. In the Jewish sacrificial system, both the priests, these are are the good priests, right? But even in the pagan system of the priesthood, the pagan priests, they were all paid for their work. They were given a portion of the sacrifices, of the meat, of the grain, of the oil, of the grapes. You can read in Numbers chapter 18, verse 21, that the Levites were to actually be given a tenth of all the offerings. That was their inheritance in Israel, the Bible says. And Paul is saying, if God provided for the priests of the Old Testament, if the pagans provide for their priests, why should Christians not... Provide for their apostles. And then there's a fifth reason, a strong reason. This is the strongest reason of all. It's the Lord's command. Look at verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He may be thinking of Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where Jesus said to his preachers as he sent them out, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, money bag, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. These preachers were to be taken care of by the people they were serving. So those are five announcements, or five arguments rather, strong reasons that Paul gives to support his absolute right to receive a salary from these people. His apostolic rights. And now he shifts. And look at verses 15 through 18, as well as we'll look at the, the second part of verse 12. Notice the apostolic restraints. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul says Barnabas and me, we've got a right. But we didn't use it. We didn't claim it. We didn't ask you for a penny. We preached the gospel to you free of charge. He also says, by the way, I'm not hinting that I should be paid now. He's not asking for the back pay that he thinks he might be owed. Isn't this surprising? I mean, stop and think what Paul has just gone over in the first 14 verses of this chapter. He spent all this time, all this argument, on showing that he has a right to be paid as a preacher of the gospel. And then he says, I didn't use it. And I don't want to use it. And I'm not hinting that you should give it to me now. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? Why is this that Paul makes such a big deal about the salary that he has a right to, but yet he doesn't claim it. We find the reason in verse 12. Here's why Paul would not receive a salary from the Corinthian Christians. Look at the second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We endure anything rather than get in the way of the gospel, rather than hinder the gospel. Now, we don't exactly know what Paul means here. He doesn't tell us. It could be because some people were making false accusations against him. Or perhaps we've heard earlier in this epistle... Perhaps people were comparing the preachers that they had with the pagan teachers who were well-paid. Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach the simple gospel of the crucified Christ. Maybe the people in Corinth were unusually poor. He talks about uh, in, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians that there was a special circumstance that, that had arisen during their time. He talks about it back in chapter 7. Maybe that had to do with the famine that was going on at this time in the history of this place. Perhaps uh, there were a lot of people unemployed. And it would have been a big burden on the church to support Paul. The, the, The fact of the matter is, there were plenty of other times when Paul was quite willing to accept a salary. To accept support. When the Philippian Christians sent him repeated gifts, he was delighted. He thanked them for the support. But for some reason, on this occasion, in this place, there was a compassion. His reward, he says that in preaching the gospel, he could offer it free of charge. The gospel is free. Paul wanted the preaching of that gospel in Corinth by him at this time to also be free. So this is Paul's argument. On the one hand, he has apostolic rights. On the other hand, we see apostolic restraints. So how does this apply to us on the first Sunday in 2023? Present application. I want to make three points of application. There may be more. Let me give you three. One I think is obvious, and the other two um, require a little more thinking. The first application, the obvious one, I think, is what preachers deserve. What preachers deserve. One thing this passage tells us, and affirms, and the New Testament affirms, and the Old Testament affirms, is that preachers of God's Word deserve support. Financial support and material support from their people so they can give their full time and full effort to the ministry of the Word of God. Paul made that case extremely clear with those five powerful, biblical, common sense reasons. And I don't need to say any more about that because we, uh, we don't have any reason to complain at this church about this subject, Happily. Let's think of another point of application, though. Why our rights can be asserted. Let's think about the idea of rights. Why does Paul make such a fuss about rights, which he has no intention of claiming? He gives these five reasons for rights, which he does not want to claim and doesn't intend to claim. So why does he assert them? And what does that say to us? Are there times in your life and in my life when it is proper for you and I to stand up for our own rights, what we deserve, what should be given to us? This passage would say, yes, there are times when it is right and proper, following the apostle's example, to assert our own rights. Let me give you two reasons why it's right to assert our own rights. The first is for the sake of justice and for other people. You know, Paul is quite free to give up his own rights, but he's not free and he's not attempting to give up the rights of other men in this statement. He's not free to give up the rights of the other apostles. If he doesn't choose to accept the salary from the Corinthians, that's up to him. But he's not or who weren't strong enough physically to earn a living through their preaching of the gospel. Paul couldn't deny their rights. He had to assert his rights for the sake of justice for others. Now that's a complicated issue. Let me try to explain it as simply as I can in my mind. It's important for us, I think, in the Bible to understand that there's a difference between what we might call personal ethics and social ethics. In other words, there's a difference in the Bible between what I do as a private individual and what I should do as a citizen, for example. For example, if a burglar were to break into my house and is captured, what is my duty as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Well, I have two duties, right? My, my, My duty as an individual, as a Christian, as a private person, is to forgive that burglar if he repents of his sin, to forgive him freely and wholeheartedly. That's my duty as a Christian. My duty as a citizen, on the other hand, is to see that he's arrested and punished by the law. Now, I would be very, very wrong if I went about you know, for days and days and months and months, filled with hatred and bitterness and anger against this man who broke into my home. The Bible says, forgive those who despitefully use you, who persecute you. Jesus said that. But I would be equally wrong as a citizen if I were to say to the burglar, I'm a Christian, so just go about your merry way. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to call the police. I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, we are called often in Scripture to give up our rights as individuals. At the same time, we're also receive what is due to us. If society doesn't have that, society collapses. And Paul asserts his rights. We know that in the Bible, don't we, in the New Testament. But when he asserts his rights... He, and, wh- and when he does it here, even, he's not just doing it for his own sake, but for the sake of his brothers, for the sake of what is truth, what is right, what is proper. In other words, as Christians, in the society in which we live, Christians are not called to be doormats. We're not called to let people at work just trample all over us and break their promises and, and not fulfill what they've said they're going to do. And, and, and we can't say anything. Because we're Christians, and Christians have to be meek. The apostle gives us a good example here. He very calmly, but very authoritatively, makes quite clear what his rights are. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, it is our duty in society to make clear what our rights are. In America, our founders did this. They made very clear their concerns about the rights of men and women, boys and girls, and we actually drew up a whole bill of them, didn't we, at the start of our republic. If we give up those rights, they'll be taken away from everyone. And the wicked will prosper. And injustice will prosper. And we won't have a society at all. And we see that happening around us sometimes, don't we? There's another reason we can assert our rights, too, and that's to avoid being misunderstood. Paul was often misunderstood. Christians sometimes can be seen as soft and feeble and cowardly and timid, not willing to stand up for themselves. Sometimes, for our own sake and for our Savior's sake, we may need to make clear our position. And it's not wrong to assert your rights for the sake of justice, for the sake of society, for the sake of other people, for the sake of even your own reputation, and certainly for the sake of your Savior's name. You can assert your rights. But then there's a third point of application, that just as Paul asserted his rights, he also restrained them. And so there's a third point of application I think we should think about for just a moment. When should we exercise restraint? Paul gives us the key principle in um, in verse 12. We put up with, we endure anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Christ anything. He was dealing with people who were obsessed with their rights. Do you remember? That's what, the, that's what the Christians in Corinthians talked about all the time. Morning, noon, and night. Our rights. Our rights. Our rights. And Paul wants to say to them, there are times you should forget about them. How could he say this after insisting on his own rights? For the Corinthians, the ultimate catastrophe, catastrophe would be for them to lose their rights. For Paul, the ultimate catastrophe would be verse 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So this passage says to us that not only are there times when we can assert our rights, But there are also times when we should restrain ourselves and when we should not claim those things which are our rights. There are times when we should deliberately surrender those. And we do that for the sake of the gospel. That's why Paul said he's not claiming that right because it would have gotten in the way of the gospel in Corinth. Now you say to me, so when are those times, Pastor Brian? Well, I can't answer that question for you. I can't give you a list of rules. I can't give you a rigid blueprint or map. It has to be your choice. I don't know where you should not claim the rights which God has given you. Only you can answer that question. Life circumstances can be very different from person to person. Decisions can be very complicated at times. What can be right for one person may not be right for another person. There are no simple answers. But what I can tell you is that the time to restrain your rights is, is, is if, in your view, the right in question is hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if your right, is hindering the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul's example would say, give it up. Give it up. Endure it. So that the gospel of Christ is not hindered. No simple answers. We have to seek God's guidance from moment to moment to moment. And I think he gets pleased when we go to him for that guidance, when the situations get complicated and hard and foggy. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back and get ready for our final songs and for our leadership team, if they'll come to prepare the Lord's communion. Uh, As they're coming, let me just summarize this one more time. This passage is saying to us, You do have rights. Of course you have rights. There will be times when you shouldn't claim them. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't forget, brothers and sisters... We are following a Savior who gave up everything to save us. If anyone had the right to assert his rights, it was our Jesus. And when it came to the gospel, he emptied himself. Brothers and sisters, I know that this is not an easy discussion. When we should assert our rights, when we should restrain them. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful the Lord has given him to us? May God help you and me to know when to be firm and when to give up our rights gladly for the sake of Jesus Christ.